Acts chapter number 14 is where we'll be. Okay, so we going to be in Acts chapter number 14, and as you're finishing finding your place there, we'll go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, so let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you for the day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for everyone who's gathered out here today, Lord, for their uh, desire to be in church, their their interest in the things of God. And we just pray, Lord, that your blessings be upon them for us, Lord. I just pray that you be with us as we gather here today, that you would speak to us through your word. I just pray that you'd help us to to grow in our walk with you, and I just pray that you would encourage each person here. I pray, Lord, that you would just be at their time in our fellowship with one another. And Lord, I just pray that you guide and direct me as I teach and as I preach, Lord, that the things I say and uh, things that I bring out would be uh, pleasing to you, Lord, and helpful to your people, Lord. And we just pray that you continue being with those who are still on their way out, and Lord, watch over those who are unable to be with us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would use us, Lord, as you see fit here in this place that you put us. And we thank you so much for all that you do. And all you want to do in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 14 is where we're going to be at. And we've been looking at the growth, the expansion of the church in the first century. And so whenever Jesus left, he left his disciples to carry forth the gospel into all the world. He gave them the Great Commission. And Acts follows along and shows the expansion of the gospel, the expansion of the church throughout uh throughout Asia, throughout Europe, throughout Africa. And uh, it shows how the Holy Spirit was working in the lives of those early believers to get the gospel to go forth. And we've seen several times already how uh, God intervened in sometimes subtle ways, sometimes things that we wouldn't have perceived if we would have been there. We wouldn't have realized that it was the hand of God. But as it is written in Scripture, we realize that God was orchestrating this. And I think we, um, uh, we fail to recognize, we fail to understand what it would have been like for them back at that time because we're seeing the end results. We're seeing the bigger picture. And I think it would be helpful or useful for us as believers today to realize that as the apostles and as the early believers were going through and doing these things, they would have... Uh, they wouldn't have understood the impact that they were making. They wouldn't have understood what was going on at that time and what God was doing through them. They would have just felt as if they were doing the routine, the mundane, the day-to-day living. And it doesn't appear that way to us because we see uh, God working all over. We see his hand. We see the supernatural. But to Apostle Paul, he was just going about and going to the next town preaching, many people rejecting, a lot of people bringing hatred and vitriol against him, throwing him out of town. Then he goes to the next town, and he's probably shuffling his feet along, wondering, how's this going to go in this next place? What are they going to do to me here? Are they going to kick me out of here too? And he probably got discouraged quite often at people's uh, response to the gospel at that time because he didn't see the end result. He didn't see where this was going. And for us as believers, we can... Uh, we can get bogged down in the mundane. We can get bogged down in not seeing what is immediately happening, sometimes feeling as if uh, what we're doing doesn't really matter. And I figure Paul felt that way many times. There's one place that says that he was, uh, he was pressed in the spirit. He was so discouraged. He was so low, it seems like. Uh, he said, without our, uh, without our troubles, within our fightings and fears and all of these things, And so he faced that kind of stuff on a day-to-day basis, and through day-by-day faithfulness, God wrought a good work, a great work, through Apostle Paul and through Barnabas, but they wouldn't have realized that was what was going on back then, okay? Even if you read through his, uh, his epistles that he wrote to the many different churches, we find oftentimes there were notes of discouragement. There were times that he was fearful that all the work that he had done was going to amount to nothing, that the people were going to depart from the faith, that people were going astray, that things were happening there that he didn't intend, that he didn't like, that he didn't want. And so he was fearful that uh, after he had exerted so much effort 
that it was going to amount to nothing, right? And, but we know that quite the contrary, that all the effort that he exerted amounted to much, that God did much through what Paul had done. And so these are the things that we've been seeing through the book of Acts. These are some of the thoughts that I want us to be able to, to meditate on, to think upon, because rather than just reading it as a historical account, this was the lives of everyday believers, everyday Christians. Yes, some of them were apostles, but still they were ordinary men. And God used them mightily. And I've said over and over, maybe about every time that we've opened up this uh, passage, uh, opened up this study, is that uh, it's often called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And that's what we're seeing happening. So last week, uh, the last two weeks, we saw um, Paul and Barnabas sent out from Antioch as the first missionaries. And we two weeks ago, we were looking at uh, the calling, how God had worked in their hearts to give them this burden to leave Antioch and to go abroad, and how God had confirmed it through uh, the believers there, through the church that was Antioch. Antioch put their blessings on them, sent them forth, and as they went forth, we looked at their their methods, how they went about evangelizing, how they went about sharing the gospel, and they would go to the synagogues, they would go to the Jews, the ones that they had uh, similarities, they had common ground with, ones that had at least a, a little bit of understanding of Scripture and of prophecy and of the Bible, and they would connect the dots for them. They would go back to the prophecies and say, this is the one that all these prophecies was pointing to and show how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. And some of them would believe, some of them wouldn't, and it would spill over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles would become receptive of it. Many of the Gentiles would believe. As the Gentiles believed, what happened to the Jews? They were envious. They were envious. They were offended, right? And so as they became jealous, as they became envious of the Gentiles saying, hey, wait, we're God's special people. They can't have our God, right? Almost possessive of God, right? They became offended at this, and this became a stumbling block for the Jews. And then many of the Jews turned against Paul and against Barnabas, turned against God and against Christ, because of the envy, because they wanted to be God's special, set-apart people, and they couldn't stand for God to love other people besides just them, okay? And so then the, that led into their, uh, their opposition. And so everywhere they went, uh, there was opposition. If you try to do anything for God, if you attempt to get the gospel out, if you attempt to live right, if you attempt to live your life by godly principles, there's always going to be opposition, Satan does not want you to live for God. He wants you to live for him and to destroy your life and to destroy your testimony and destroy all these things. And if you are living for God, Satan will oppose you. And so opposition was everywhere that they went. It was just part and parcel of living for God. And so then last week, what we looked at was their message that they preached. And I went into that just a little bit there a second ago. But they came to the, the Jews and Gentiles. And they came to them and they preached Christ crucified, buried, risen the third day for the remission of sins. They preached the gospel, the same gospel that we still preach today. And they laid that out before the people. And at the end of chapter number 13, the Jews were envious. They raised up, uh, the. it says the uh, Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Barnabas and Paul. And they expelled them out of their coast. Barnabas and Paul shook the dust off of their shoes as a testimony against them, and they kept on going. Uh, verse 15, or 15, verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Whenever it's talking about the disciples there, it's not talking about Paul and Barnabas. It's talking about those who had believed, those who had trusted Christ. So even though there was opposition, even though Paul and Barnabas was moving on, they were leaving believers behind that were in love with the Lord, that wanted to serve Him, and it was the start of a church. Even though they had only been there a very short amount of time, there were people there who was going to go on and live for God. There was a, uh, going to be a light, a witness, a testimony in that area, and Paul and Barnabas kept moving. And so we're going to see in uh, chapter number 14, this is going to happen a couple different times. So let's go ahead and read chapter 14, starting in verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, 
and so spake that a great multitude, both of Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. A long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it, and fled unto Lystra and to Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about, and there they preached the gospel. And so as we see this first part here, I find two different thoughts that stand out to me. And the first one is just the way that Paul and Barnabas were moved from place to place. Uh, we spend a lot of, uh, maybe maybe I shouldn't say we. Maybe I shouldn't include everyone else because I don't know, maybe you guys think differently than I do. But we worry a lot about uh, how do we discern the Lord's will? How do we discern God's plan? How do we know what to do, where to go, how to go about things? And as we see Paul and Barnabas here, they were living for the Lord. They were walking with him. And they were seeking His will in their lives. That's important. If you want to, uh, if you want to serve the Lord, if you want to be in His will, if you are walking with Him uh, in His Word and in prayer and seeking to be led by Him, He is going to see to it that you know what He wants you to do. Okay, you can know because here's the thing: God is big enough. He is wise enough. He is smart enough. He is powerful enough. And he knows you thoroughly enough to know how to get his point through your head, even if it's as thick as mine. Okay? He knows how to get his point across if you desire to serve him. And with Paul and Barnabas, they they desired to serve him. They didn't have to have writing in the sky. They didn't have to have God to come and visit them with an angel and lay out a a step-by-step guide to them. But instead, the Bible tells us that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And so whenever we are serving the Lord, whenever we're living for Him, He is going to direct our steps. He is going to guide our pathway. And so as we see Barnabas and Paul here, uh, just their first being, uh, their first setting out from the church at Antioch. God had laid a burden on their heart. He had sent a direction for them. He had given them peace about leaving that place, right? And then He had confirmed His direction through the church. That's one way that He had worked in their lives to direct them. And I know whenever uh, the Lord dealt with us to come to Ireland, that's kind of what happened. He put a a burden, a desire on our heart, and he then confirmed it through other people. And we knew which direction he wanted us to go. But that's not how it always works, because here we also find that as they were in this one town, that they were expelled from their coast. They didn't have a a whole lot to decide in the matter. It was just, okay, you're done here. The door is closed. And so they were expelled out. They moved onward. And so sometimes God makes his will known by closing doors. Other times he makes his will known by opening doors, right? We find with Peter, whenever he was uh, there in Joppa, and uh, the Lord was preparing his heart. He was preparing his mind because Peter wasn't ready for the next step. Peter being the Jew that he was, he wasn't ready to go to a Gentile's house. He wasn't ready to go down to Cornelius. And so God prepared his heart. He had some lessons that he had to learn, revealed some things to him. And then he threw the door wide open. Cornelius' servants appeared at the doorstep and said, it's time for you to come with us. It's time for you to go down here to Cornelius, to Caesarea. And God opened a door. Peter walked through it. And so there's a way that God has of opening doors, closing doors, giving opportunities, closing up opportunities. And oftentimes in our lives, we don't even realize what God has been doing in our lives until we can look back on it later on. As Paul Barnabas was going about, they said, well, we can't preach here anymore, so let's go to the next town. And so they were just going and doing the next reasonable step, right? They were just doing the next thing. And God blessed it. God orchestrated it without them having to labor and wonder and fear and fret and worry about, okay, God, what do you want us to do next? Instead, God closed one door. He opened another. They went to the next place. Now, they weren't discouraged by the fact that the door closed on them. 
They weren't discouraged by this and saying, well, no one wants to listen. No one wants to hear. I'm not doing any good. I'm just going to quit. They said, well, I still want to serve God and I'm going to be faithful no matter if anyone else wants to follow him or not. And so they left the one place. They went to the next place. They began preaching. They began teaching. Some believed, some didn't believe, right? And this characterizes Paul and Barnabas' ministry all the way through here. And they just go to the next town, to the next town. Finally, they get all the way over at one point in time. I believe it's Paul and Silas at this time. Uh, Silas may not be with them. I can't remember. But anyway, they get all the way over to uh, as far as they can go west. And they have the sea to the west of them. And they try to go to the north. And God says no. They try to go to the south and just can't get peace about that. And then they receive the Macedonian call. Remember that? They receive the Macedonian call. There's someone in Greece that's saying, come over here. And that opens up the doorway for them to come into Europe out of Asia. Right? And so God has closed door, closed door. And then he gave direction. He says, get on a boat, keep going west. And so that's what they did. And so God has ways of getting his point across to us. He has ways of helping us, guiding us, directing our feet to his will. But what I want to continue to emphasize here, what it first takes is a heart for God, a willing heart, faithful heart, one that wants to know his will, wants to know what he wants for them. Because I'm afraid that a lot of times we are standing there saying, okay, God, you show it to me and I'll decide whether or not I want to move forward. Right? You say, okay, if it, if it pleases me, if it meets my will, then I'll do your will. And you're not doing the will of God at all. You're doing your will as long as it coincides with God's. Right. And let me say, that's not how God works. God wants people who love him, people who trust him, people who are willing to put their lives into his hand. And whenever we're willing to do that, God will direct our steps. If you're refusing, if you're unwilling, if you don't care what God's will is, if you don't care what he has for you, if you want to do your own thing and you've already got your mind made up, then God's not going to guide your steps. God's not going to move your feet. But whenever you love him and whenever you desire his will, he's going to move your feet. And it says that you're going to delight in the way that he sends you. Okay? We've talked about, and I've, I've quoted the verse many times, uh, that, and now I'm going to mess it up because it just went from me. But anyway, do <clears throat> what? Yeah, no, I, said, I already quoted that one. But uh, but no, uh, it says that uh, uh, the will of God is acceptable, is good, acceptable, and perfect. Okay? And until you are convinced that God's word is true, until you're convinced that his will is good and acceptable and perfect, you're not going to seek it, you're not going to find it, and you're not going to delight in it. But whenever you take God at his word, whenever by faith you you read the scriptures and you say, okay, God has promised these things. I can trust him. He is so good. He has loved me so much. He has saved my soul. He has promised me heaven and eternity. He is with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. So I can trust him. I can desire his will. He knows much more about it than what I do. And so God, I'm desiring your will. I know it's going to be good and acceptable and perfect. God's not going to lead me to a place where I'm going to be miserable he might not lead me to the, the places that I would choose for myself, but whenever he leads you to that place, it is going to be good, acceptable, and perfect just for you because you are God's child and he delights in giving his children good gifts, right? And so he's guiding Paul and Barnabas step by step. And whenever it says in verse number two that there was unbelieving Jews and Gentiles whose minds were evil affected against the brethren. There were ones who were opposing them. There was opposition every time that they were seeking to serve the Lord. There was opposition. And as these men were coming and trying to undo everything that Paul and Barnabas was doing, Paul and Barnabas could have quit, right? They could have been discouraged, but they didn't. It says instead in verse number three, they abode there a long time speaking boldly. They stuck around for a while because there were people there who believed there were uh, people there who had been saved. There was the the beginning of a church there in that area. And they spake boldly in the Lord. And the Lord responded by giving testimony to the things that they were speaking. Okay? And so we see a principle here. Uh, the Lord gave a testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done at their hands. And so we see the 
all the miracles and all the signs, all the different things that are recorded through the book of Acts and through the Gospels. But we find here a key, we find a purpose behind those signs, those wonders, and miracles. They validated a message, okay? So Paul and Barnabas are coming into uh, Gentile lands. They're coming into new territory. Uh, they are coming around people who didn't, didn't have a biblical foundation. They didn't have any sort of a background or an understanding, ones that were raised up in paganism because the Jews were turning away. The Jews were refusing it, right? And so as they were preaching and teaching the word of God, God allowed them to do signs and wonders to validate the message that they were proclaiming. Mm-hmm. Okay, And that was the purpose of the signs and the wonders. Uh, some people think that it was a, a tool of evangelism, that somehow this was going to cause people to believe, but this more or less was to cause people to listen. Mm-hmm. It was to get their attention. And it was to say that these men aren't just coming up with this of their own minds. They are not making this up themselves, but this is truly of God. And so God, in a way, is putting his stamp of approval on it so they will listen to what Paul and Barnabas has to say. Okay? But what is the results of those signs and wonders? Some were, yes. Okay. No matter how you put souls were because primarily the Gentiles to whom the Lord sent Apostle Paul, mm-hmm. there was great and massive mm-hmm. revival. And Apostle Paul took time to correct an impression that the Jews have been having. Mm-hmm. That, like you mentioned, that uh, they became possessive of God. And it's for us, mm-hmm. like talks of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And these Gentiles have no share in this. Mm-hmm. In this uh, thing, mm-hmm. I was about to time to write in the book of Romans chapter 11 to correct that impression. I like mm-hmm. chapter 11 to correct it. That mm-hmm. if God came for you and you disobey and you snub Him, mm-hmm. it's like when you remove uh, a, a part from the from the from the tree mm-hmm. and a new one is, is grafted mm-hmm. there, God has removed you and He has chosen to. Grafts back to the truth, mm-hmm. the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So, if along the line you also believe in this in this gospel and you are converted, you will be grafted back. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's went a long way to settle the argument. Mm-hmm. So, Gentiles were converted mm-hmm. certainly, and towards the end of Acts chapter Acts, I look Acts chapter twenty four. Mm-hmm. We see what happened when Apostle Paul was being bundled. To go and stand trial, you know, mm-hmm. before the king, mm-hmm. how he was opportune to defend himself. Mm-hmm. He spoke extensively. Mm-hmm. And the emperor was saying, Paul, well, you almost made me to be converted. Mm-hmm. He said, No, you must be converted. Mm-hmm. And we still know how we know what happened. Mm-hmm. It's, it's if you are used to reading Acts of the Apostles, mm-hmm. it's is a is a well grounded book. Mm-hmm. So souls were converted, gentiles were converted. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why Apostle Paul could write mm-hmm. epistles to the Romans, mm-hmm. to the to the Ephesians, mm-hmm. to the uh, uh, Corinthians, and so on and so forth. If souls were not converted there, he would have planted churches in these areas where he wrote to mm-hmm. encourage them. Okay. But so, the signs and wonders wasn't good for the Gentiles because they thought okay. that the gods came, like you know. Once. Right. So that's the next passage, yeah. Yeah, because you know the signs and signs and so that was for Jews, especially mm-hmm. never any Jew would think that gods came, you know. Mm-hmm. But for the Gentiles, it's another, another yeah. god. You know? Yeah, it says that the Jews seek a sign, right? Yeah. And so, with what what Victor was saying there a minute ago about the gospel going out, about people being converted. It wasn't the signs and wonders that did that. It was the gospel. And it says, by the foolishness of preaching, right? And what I'm getting at with this, and what we're going to see in this next passage that Anna was referring to. Sorry, for you. Talking about signs and wonders. When you preach to a man, Mm -hmm. maybe a drunk, Mm -hmm. or somebody who has been perverted, and the gospel is in Rest upon his heart. Mm-hmm. And what you, what you see that you see a change of heart mm-hmm. is a miracle. Yes. 
I watched a film on Netflix, mm -hmm. the, the Greenleaf family. Mm -hmm. You know, in Memphis, they have a big church there, and the church was ravaged by all kinds of things, sex, uh, drugs, and many other things, you know. Mm -hmm. And one thing that the health family was saying mm -hmm. was that it's a miracle see people, you know, yielding their hearts to the Word of God. Yeah. It's a miracle. Yeah, and I believe that's the greatest miracle. We get tied up in this whole idea of signs and wonders. We get tied up in, just like in the next passage, the healing of the crippled man, okay? The physical, the visible things. But the greatest miracle ever is that God would save a sinner that is bound for hell. That God, a holy, righteous, omnipotent, all-powerful, glorious God like we have, that he would be willing to come down here to bleed and to die on a cross, to give his life for someone like me. Right. That is a miracle. And then on top of that, that he would take someone who is sinful and separated from God, and he would begin to transform their life. And while you're talking about the drunkards and the drug addicts and all that, and for him to take a man such as that, cleanse his life, and make him a productive member of society, turn that drunk or that drug addict into a father, to a husband, to a, uh, a witness for him and for his glory, that is a far greater miracle right. than anything that we're going to find as far as restoring the sight to the blind. Right. Okay? And so whenever he had these signs and these wonders, it was validating his word so they would hear the gospel. Okay? And whenever they heard the gospel, it says in verse number four, but the multitude of the city was divided. If you go back up to verse number one, there was a great multitude that believed before the signs and the wonders. And we see here that the signs and the wonders didn't actually make too much of a difference. Right? Because afterward, there were still those who believed and many who didn't believe. We're going to see here in verses 8 and following that there is a very notable miracle that is done, and still there are many who don't believe. And the reason for this is it is, as I said a moment ago, it's the preaching of the gospel that makes the difference. It is not the signs of the wonders, the miracles. Because even to this day, there are many people who say, I just need proof. I need evidence. I can't have blind faith. I can't just believe in God. I can't just believe the Bible. I need proof. I need evidence. You ever heard that? Yeah. But let me say this. There is mountains of proof. There is mountains of evidence. And most of the people who will say that have never even looked into the claims of Scripture. They have never sought for the evidence. They've never looked for it. They have just regurgitated a same old line that's been repeated for thousands of years is I need evidence, I need proof, and God is giving evidence, he is giving proof. Yeah. And some of the greatest evidence that he has now is the written word. Right. They didn't have that at that time. God was authenticating the spoken word. He's authenticated the written word now. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what we find here is that whenever people say, I need evidence, I need proof, they are not willing to believe. It doesn't matter how much proof, how much evidence that you present to them, they're still not going to believe. I was uh, uh, reading an article this past week, or maybe the week before, and it was talking about uh, this man was doing evangelism, and he was talking to people who claimed to be atheists, claimed to be agnostics, and he asked them, if I had empirical, or empirical evidence, if I had proof beyond reasonable doubt, if I could prove that this Bible was true, if I could prove that God exists, wouldn't you become a Christian? And the answer should be yes, of course, right? But what was their answer? No. And so at least they were honest about it. But he says, if I could prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is real and that this Bible is true, would you become a Christian? And they said no. And so it's not a matter of proof. It is a matter of will. It's not a matter of knowledge. It's not a matter of evidence. It is a matter of their hardness, their unwillingness. It's a matter of their heart. Okay? And one of the best examples, one of the best proofs of this 
is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And I believe this isn't just a mere story. This isn't a parable. It is an actual account, actual uh, actual individuals that existed. And it says that there was a rich man that fared sumptuously every day. And there was a poor beggar that begged at his gates and would would try to fill himself with just the scraps that fell from his table, right? And it came to the point in time that they died. And it says that the beggar, Lazarus, were, was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. God's taking care of his children. And the rich man, who never had a desire for God, didn't want anything to do with God because he was setting up his heaven on earth, right? It says that he opened up his eyes in hell, being in torments. And there's a conversation that takes place there. And he said, send Lazarus, this guy that I've despised my entire life, that I would never listen to. Lazarus has probably tried to tell him about God. Who knows? And he says, send Lazarus to warn my brothers so that they don't come to this place. Y'all remember the story? Yeah. yeah. And so whenever he says, send, my bro- or send Lazarus to my brothers so that they don't come to this place, Abraham responds and says, they have Moses and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear it. Let them hear the Bible. Let them hear the Moses and the prophets. And he says, no, but if someone was to go to them from the grave, if there was a big enough miracle that would happen, then they would believe. And Abraham says emphatically, if they will not hear the witness of Moses and the prophets, if the word of God is not enough, miracles aren't going to convince them. Okay? Maybe not. And so it's even more, more so proven Jesus tells that parable, and then he actually raises Lazarus from the dead. Probably a different Lazarus. Definitely a different Lazarus because the one that died wasn't a beggar. Right. Okay? Right. He actually raises Lazarus from the dead. And what do the unbelievers try to do to Lazarus? They try to kill him again. Isn't that kind of dumb? Jesus resurrects this guy. It's such a testimony. You know, people are talking about it. You know, everybody's buzzing around talking about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And the unbelievers say, we've got to get rid of the proof. We've got to hide the evidence. Let's kill him. Again. And this this unveils the, the truth about unbelief because down throughout history, men have been plotting and have been trying their best to cover up any proof, any evidence, try to hide any proof, any evidence that God has put out there because they don't want to believe themselves. Because if they believe, if they acknowledge that this is true, if they acknowledge that there is a God, then they are accountable. If God exists, if there is a God in heaven that created all things, and I am accountable to him that he is the righteous judge of all men, then I'm in trouble. You will. Yeah. And so I'm in trouble, and so we can will him to non-existence and say, well, I realize that I am a sinner. I realize that I fell short of a holy God's expectations of his desires for my life. And so if I have to give an account to God, I'm going to come up short, and it's not going to go well for me. I don't like this setup, so I'm going to refuse to believe. I'm going to refuse to even acknowledge that he may exist, and I'm going to will him into non-existence. I'm going to try to cover up any proof that there is that he does exist, and I'm going to try to keep any for anyone else out there from saying he does exist, and I'm going to try to silence them and we're going to see that here a little bit later. And so this is in the heart of man. They are unwilling. They do not want to know him. Right. Romans tells us that God has put plenty of evidences, plenty of proof, even in his creation, so that they are without excuse. Yeah. But it says that they like not to retain the knowledge of him. What he's meaning whenever he says that in Romans, he's saying that even though they can clearly see, they are willfully ignorant. They are willingly uh, saying, I don't want him, I don't want anything to do with him, and putting him away. Why is it that atheists will devote so much time and effort to trying to fight against the gospel, to fight against the church, to fight against God? I've said this before, but there is no other... Uh, imaginary being that people put so much effort into trying to debunk. Right. Atheists try to say that God is on par with Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. You've heard that? 
Do you see anybody out trying to debunk Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny? <laughs> you have the, the anti-Santa Claus society out there. You've got atheist societies everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. You see uh, YouTube videos up of people who are railing against the Easter Bunny and giving evidences and proofs that he doesn't exist. <laughs> but they do God, right? So what are they trying to do? What is their motive behind this? See, if you don't... Okay, I don't believe in Santa Claus. Right? Does that surprise anybody? You don't believe in what? I don't believe in Santa Claus. Santa Claus? Yeah, I don't believe in Santa Claus. Christmas Okay. And so since I don't believe in Santa Claus, I don't do anything with Santa Claus. I don't pay any attention to Santa Claus. If you want to believe in Santa Claus, good on you. different things that we see in scripture um, we can see that there are plenty of people who oppose God plenty of people that oppose the things of God people who are resistant to the gospel people who try to cover it I guess you could even argue with the whole Santa Claus thing they're trying to cover it up you know now we're materialistic now we've got all these other things in place trying to distract from Christmas and from the birth of Christ right but Whenever it comes down to it, it shows the sin in man's heart, their unwillingness, their resistance to the things of God. And so whenever Paul and Barnabas came to this area, they were preaching, they were doing signs and wonders. People were believing before the signs and wonders, and people were still disbelieving after the signs and wonders. Okay? And so these things didn't, uh, they weren't a tool for evangelism, they were a tool for um for validating scripture. Uh, and though they had all the evidence they needed, though God was validating what they were saying, though there was clearly signs and wonders, and we're going to see here in the, the healing of the impotent man, that it was very convincing miracles that God was doing here that people still refused to believe. Okay? And so we can look at the world that we live yes, in today. Uh, sorry, sir. I, I was just going through... Uh, Mark chapter 16. Mm -hmm. Before Christ you know, left the disciples, mm -hmm. he gave a charge. Mm -hmm. In Mark 16, verse 15, and then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to mm -hmm. everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Mm -hmm. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. Yeah. The 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 miracles is a proof to the authenticity of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Like we saw in Acts 14, verse 4. And the Lord proved that message was true by giving them power mm -hmm. to do miraculous signs and wonders. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Those who do not believe after the miracles mm -hmm. will condemn. Mm -hmm. it is, it is, it is, that's, that is what Christ right. said. Mm -hmm. I said it, mm -hmm. not mercy. I said that those who do not believe shall be condemned. Right. As it was then, so it is now. Mm -hmm. Those who do not believe the gospel, mm -hmm. though they have heard the gospel, they have tested how good God is, mm -hmm. and they still chose to become perverted. 
Shall we call them? You see, I was many years ago. I was in my country. Was working in the emergency mm-hmm. department. Mm-hmm. I believe a man walked in. He was sick, and I, I was about taking his blood pressure. He was telling me that uh, he was a reverend in mm-hmm. one of the regular uh, churches mm-hmm. for many years, mm-hmm. but now he has chosen to backslide and to break completely because he cannot place the genius of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I was just, then I was not, not even a believer. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at me, what is this man talking about? Mm-hmm. I could not place what he was saying. Mm-hmm. To such a man, he was condemned because he had tested the gospel and see that it was sweet, but he has chosen to, to backslide completely beyond remedy. Mm-hmm. And such a one is condemned mm-hmm. completely. But those who believe, fine. But those who do not believe shall be condemned. In in the case that you're talking about there, I wonder. Okay, uh, you said that he he was what, in hospital nursing home. He, no, he, he was he came he was unwell. A bunch of departments, yeah. Okay. To E and E. Okay. To see a doctor. Okay. He wasn't fine. Yeah. Was it? Did he have ongoing health concerns and stuff like that? Something like that. He has great blood pressure, so okay. he came to see a doctor. Well, what I'm what I'm wondering is that whenever whenever he uh, he said I used to believe. And now I, it was a reverend. Right. Reverend. Right. So he, he said I used to be I used to be preaching. I used to stand for this. But now I no longer believe it because he said he didn't believe the Bible, right? Yes. So I wonder if in his life what it was in the Bible that he didn't believe, and I figure that most likely it was that he had believed in false teachings, that he had uh, had a misunderstanding of the Bible and of the way that God intended to work. And what often happens is that whenever people believe, okay, I'm going to become a Christian, and whenever I become a Christian, God's going to do all these wonderful things in my life, and I'm going to have health, wealth, and prosperity, then it doesn't come. Then they get embittered toward God and say, God, you didn't hold up your end of the deal. I wonder if that was his case. But I, I didn't ask him what mm-hmm. meaning actually mm-hmm. you know, fall to that <laughs> level of... Uh, from grace to mm-hmm. grass, you ask him because mm-hmm. did my job. Right, yeah. but see, I, I see that happening quite often. Is that people uh, follow the Lord thinking that this is peace and prosperity? You know, the prosperity gospel. And whenever the peace and prosperity doesn't come, then they say, "Okay, God lied to me. I'm turning my back on Him." Mm-hmm. And that's prevalent in a lot of places. And that's one reason we're looking through this with the with the signs and the wonders and all these different things that people are looking for an experience. They're looking for something uh, something earth-shattering, something world-changing for them. And if it doesn't happen, then they turn away from it. And we find that oftentimes God doesn't work in that way, that he's working subtly, he's working behind the scenes, that he is chan- changing and transforming hearts, that he is not trying to give you uh, a Disney happily ever after. Instead, he is fitting you for heaven. Okay. Instead of giving you health, wealth, and prosperity, he is cleaning you up. He is making you a a vessel fit for his service. He is doing a a change in your life for your desires, for your wishes, for your future. And it's not okay. Now my bank account's going to be full. I'm never going to get sick. My children are going to be nice and obedient always. And no, that's not why God saves us. Okay. And so, getting back to our passage here. Whenever we go ahead and jump to uh, verse number eight, it says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. Now, pay attention to that. Cripple from his mother's womb, he had never walked. We've all seen people who had long-term disabilities, people who either at an early age or from birth uh, had some sort of paralysis, some confined to a wheelchair, that kind of thing, right? And what happens to all their limbs? Paralyzed. They're paralyzed, but they're also atrophied. Usually they are small whenever they uh, you see a, an adult that has uh, been paralyzed, crippled, confined to a wheelchair from the time that they were young. Their bodies don't continue to grow and to, to become full size, right? So I imagine that's the way that this man would have been. Yeah. His arms, his legs, that he would have no muscle tone. He would have, yeah, it probably even like seized up and everything, okay? 
And so it says the same heard Paul speak. Okay, he heard the gospel. He heard what God, what Paul was preaching. Who steadfastly, this is Paul, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, "Stand upright on thy feet." And he leapt, or he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which uh, was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Okay, this is an interesting passage that fits in with what we've been talking about. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas, they're expelled out of another place. They go into this area at Lystra. And as they are preaching, a man is crippled and he is beholding them. He believes he's hanging on every word they say. And he's been surrounded by idolatry. He's been surrounded by paganism. And as they preach the love of God, as they preach the power of God, as they preach Christ, this man believes. And Paul, because he's walking with God, because he is walking in the Spirit, the Lord reveals to him this guy believes. He believes and, and God leads him to heal this man. And so Paul calls out to this man who has never walked a day in his life. And he says, stand up to your feet. And the man stood up and began walking and leaping. That's huge, right? And so started walking and leaping. And this is one of the miracles that they did. This is the characteristic of the miracles that Paul and that the apostles did. And I want us to, to pay attention to this for just a minute because there are those today that still claim to be doing miracles like Paul and Barnabas. But when's the last time that we saw someone who was born crippled, who had never walked, able immediately to receive strength in their, in their legs, their ankles, and their bodies, and be able not to even have to be taught how to, to walk they didn't have to go to physical therapy. They didn't have to go through any process. Immediately, they were miraculously, completely made whole from that moment. And I'll tell you, there of all of the people out there, you've got the Benny Hens and different ones that are claiming that they are healing people, and none of them are healing on this manner. Okay? And we're seeing part of the reason why here is, for one, the miracles, the signs were to the Jews, whenever the Gentiles seen him, as Anna pointed out earlier, they began to worship Paul and Barnabas. Right? They began to worship Paul and Barnabas. It says they were speaking to each other in uh, the speech of the Lyconians. Paul and Barnabas didn't understand what was going on. They did this miracle, and all the people began to chat amongst each other in a language that Paul and Barnabas didn't understand, and they were probably sitting there saying, what's all this about? And they see people running around, and all of a sudden they start bringing oxen out with garlands around their neck, getting ready to do sacrifice to them. Right? And Paul and Barnabas is like, whoa, whoa, no, you can't do sacrifice. We are men just like you. We are not gods. Whenever it refers to them as Jupiter and Mercurius, Jupiter was their, their uh, name for the, the Greek god Zeus. Okay? Like the, the head god. And Mercurius... Uh, Mercury was his uh, was his messenger. Okay, so he says the gods have come down in the form of men, and Paul and Barnabas says, "No, we are not gods. We are just men. Yeah, we're men, just the same as what you are." And so they had to try to calm them down and had to try to get them to not do sacrifice to them. So, lesson we have from this, for one thing, is any time that you see a man claiming to be sent of God that will accept worship, run away. Yeah. 
right? Right. Paul and Barnabas, who if anyone should have been uplifted and praised, anyone should have been uh, made a, a saint or whatever, if there's anyone, it should have been them. And Paul and Barnabas says, don't worship us. Right. Don't come and bow down to us. Don't pray to us. I wonder what Paul would say today if he knew how many St. Paul's cathedrals there were. Mm. Church of St. Paul. Mm. I wonder what he would say. He would say, it's not about me. Right. You've got it all wrong. Don't worship me. Don't come and uh, venerate me. I am a man just like you are. But around this world, there are many different groups out there of people, churches where the pastor is lifted up, where he is venerated in such a way that the people are basically worshiping him. And if that man doesn't have the sense about him to say, I'm a man just like you are, you are I'm no different than what you are. Don't worship me. Don't praise me. Don't put me up on a pedestal. If he doesn't have enough sense to do that, run away. Yes. Okay? Because only a false teacher, only... A, uh, a hireling is ever going to accept that in because God has made it clear that he is the only one to be worshipped. He is the only one to be revered. And all the rest of us are merely men. Yeah. We are all sinners. Okay? And so that is a warning for us. And also, just going in with, with what we were already saying there, uh <clears throat> This miracle, as miraculous as what it was, still wasn't enough to make them believe. Right. Okay? And at the end of this, whenever Paul says, we are like men, just like you guys, uh, Acts 14, let's see, what, what verse are we in? 15. 15. It says, sirs, why do ye these things? We are also men of like passions with you. And preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Who in times and so he goes in and he starts uh, rebuking them for what they are doing. He is saying what you are doing is wrong. You're worshiping false gods, and if you were one of these men, this would be offensive to you, right? He's saying, "Stop! You've been worshiping." Jupiter and Mercurius and all these different guys, you have been doing this and it's vanities. It's worthless. It's meaningless. There's nothing to it. And God, for a time, he's winked at. He has overlooked these things, but he is calling for you now to turn away from these things and turn to him. And so they were ready to worship him just a minute ago. But now these people go away. They were excited. There was a festival atmosphere. They were going to do sacrifices. The gods were amongst them. And then they shut them down, told them that they were wrong, and sent them home. And so they're leading their cattle back to the stalls. They're taking the garlands off of them. And they're deflated. And guess who appears just at that time? Verse number 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So they went from wanting to worship them, thinking that they are gods, to wanting to kill them, wanting to murder them. And on top of that, it says that these men who come to persuade them came from as far as Antioch. They had been following them for a while. They were like vicious wolves falling after chasing them, just trying to undo everything that God was doing through them. And the reason I bring this out is that everywhere that Paul and Barnabas went, they preached the gospel, they baptized, and they uh, discipled those who believed, and those who didn't believe, what, what, what did they do to them? Nothing. As Christians, we believe that it is each person's uh, right, I guess we could say, to accept or to reject. Yeah. We can preach the gospel. We can tell people about Jesus. We believe with all of our heart what this says. We believe that there is a God. We believe there is a heaven and a hell. We believe that the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ alone. We believe these things, but if you don't believe them, 
then that's your prerogative. If you don't believe them, then that is your right. You can do that, and we'll do nothing else besides pray for you. Maybe mourn for you. We might be sad because you don't believe, but we can't do anything else about it. But whenever Satan's crowd, okay, whenever you don't go along with them, whenever you don't believe the way that they do, how do they react? Persecution and violence. Because how dare you believe something different than what we believe? And you can see this all the way down throughout time. You look at the Crusades. As the Catholics went throughout all of the region, throughout all of Europe, throughout their entire empire, uh, saying convert or die. Either you believe what we believe or we'll burn you, we'll decapitate you, we'll stab you through with swords, we will persecute you to the ends of the earth. That's what they did, right? There is no choice, no will in the matter. Either you believe like we do or you die. Muslims, same way. Many other religions around the world, either you believe like we do or you die. Okay? But it should never be that way with Christians. God has given us the, the ability, the opportunity to have a free will and for us to decide of our own. And the reason I bring all of this out is that we must uh, take note of this as Christians because if we seek to persecute those or to mistreat those or to abuse in any way those who don't believe like us, we are following the pattern of Satan, not of Jesus. You remember whenever uh, Jesus and his disciples were going into the one city of Samaria and the city of Samaria wanted nothing to do with them and threw them out. And I believe it was Paul and, or not Paul, Peter and John said, give us permission to call down fire from heaven. Y'all remember that passage? Mm -hmm. They said, they won't believe us. Let's burn them. And he said, you don't know what spirit you are of. And so that gives us a great principle that if we are taking that mindset of they don't believe like us, they won't accept our gospel, they have a different religion or whatever, they are the enemies, we hate them and we're going to persecute them, then you are following after Satan, not after God. Because even Jesus gave everyone he came in contact with, if they did not believe him, if they did not follow him, he just kept going. He left them to it. They could turn if they wanted to. Even if you look at Judas, he's a prime example, isn't he? Jesus knew all along that Judas was going to reject him. And yet he waited until Judas made that decision. Judas rejected him and he let him go. And so just, just going back, I need to need to close here. What we looked at in this lesson this morning, we've been a little bit of everywhere, I know. But we started off and we said, God can lead those who want to be led of him. He has ways of getting you where he wants you at, if you're willing to be led. Second thing we were looking at was these signs and wonders. Some people, it doesn't matter how much evidence, how much proof they have, they're still going to reject. It's not a matter of having too little evidence, too little proof. It is a matter of they are not willing to accept. Okay? And then the last thing that we're looking at, for all of those who are unwilling to accept, they'll have their own beliefs, they'll have their own decisions, and mo most likely they are going to be mad at us. They are going to uh, not like what we have to say or what we believe but we don't reciprocate that. They are entitled to be wrong, right? They are entitled to reject, and they can. And so rather than hating those people, rather than attacking those people or persecuting those people, we love them, we continue praying for them, and we move on to the next place, right? So does anyone have any questions or comments before we close? Anything to add? Well, like you, you mentioned something while in the course of your teaching, I just want to return that. You see, when you tell uh, a sister who has been trusting God for a life partner, mm -hmm. and she's at the in age, mm -hmm. and you tell her that you get married, so and so forth, and uh, you don't take time to teach her or mm -hmm. show her the principle mm -hmm. that will make that work. Mm -hmm. And the principle is in the scripture. Mm -hmm. is a problem. Mm -hmm. For instance, somebody who's like you said, 
the way and manner Paul, you know, the man who was born uh, lame from his mother's womb, mm -hmm. as he was looking at them preaching the gospel, mm -hmm. I was Paul, you know, the son that this man had faith to be healed. Mm -hmm. And the man was, he didn't touch him, he didn't get mm -hmm. to so he didn't lay hand on him. Mm -hmm. he just, it was dramatic mm -hmm. and unique. Mm -hmm. And he said that you are not seeing such mm -hmm. a practice in our own modern day. Why is it like that? It is because the majority of our so called, you know, faith healers, mm -hmm. you know, they do it for showing off, mm -hmm. they do it to boost their ego. Mm -hmm. And they have deviated from the ancient path. Like Ezekiel said. Okay. Well, to, to answer the question you have, okay, yeah. why aren't we seeing it today? It, and you may disagree with this. I'll say that ahead of time. But I fully believe that at the completion of the Word of God, whenever God had authenticated His Word, He had authenticated His messengers, He committed it to the, the written page, okay? Whenever he had done all of that, then there ceased to be the need for the miracles, for the signs, and for the wonders. And so they ceased for a time. Okay? And we can see throughout the book of Acts that those uh, become fewer and further between. We look at the epistles, and there is very little that's mentioned of them except for in 1 Corinthians. And then it's, uh, it's basically a reproof of the wrong way of using those things. Okay, and so it's something that throughout the New Testament uh, faded, and there are times whenever Paul talks about I left this person sick here. Paul wasn't able to heal them then. It seems like that ship had sailed. Okay, and down throughout church history, you go through about eighteen hundred years, and there is little to none of it, and then there's a resurgence right at the end of the eighteen hundreds, the nineteen hundreds, uh, and it started in a revival meeting in a yeah Azusa in a in a church in the United States okay and it was a a heretical church okay and they emphasized the signs the wonders the miracles and they have misled many people with a cheap counterfeit of the mighty power and mighty works that God did in Scripture, okay? And so you see false teachers with counterfeit miracles, and, and Satan has power. Satan is able to do these things. You even look back in uh, the book of Exodus, whenever Moses is getting ready to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, then Moses comes with signs and wonders with miracles before them, and Pharaoh's uh, sorcerers are able to make counterfeits of what Moses does, right? And so I believe Satan is still doing that today because people are still seeking after the supernatural. People are seeking after the paranormal. People are looking at something spectacular, something emotional, and they're not looking for a relationship with God. They're not looking for salvation of their souls. They're looking for an experience, okay? Even if, and, and this might be a little bit of a leap, but even in the uh, explosion of drug use and things like that, what are people using drugs and alcohol and all these different things? What are they seeking after? They're seeking after an experience. They're seeking after something to change the way they're feeling, some kind of a feeling, some kind of an emotion. And it's, it's very similar to what you see there. So to go back and answer your question, why aren't we seeing people who are born lame, able to walk and to leap and to jump and to run, Immediately, because God had a time and a purpose and a place for that, and now he has the Word of God. Peter even referred to whenever uh, he saw the Lord transfigured on the mount. That would have been a, a, a huge experience, right? Peter said that even that we have a more sure word of prophecy today than that experience. He said, I would sooner trust this than that experience. Okay. Anything else? Jesus himself warned in Matthew 24 about it too. Mm -hmm. so. so yeah, by and large, I say these guys who are uh, heaping up huge followings to themselves 
proclaiming themselves to be something, who are emphasizing the signs, the wonders, and miracles, and not preaching the gospel, there's another there's another marker. Most of these faith healers, so-called, never preach the gospel. They say, come and be healed of your physical ailments. They never talk about healing your soul. All right? Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll, we'll take a break. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you for this time that we've had in your word. I pray that it has been fruitful, that it's been helpful to the people here. We praise you and thank you for everyone who's gathered here and ask you, Lord, that you would just do the, the needed work in their hearts and lives today. And Lord, I just pray God and direct me, Lord, as I as I attempt to help, to teach, to encourage, Lord. And Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.